Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, esteemed listeners to The Artwire, Gold Extra's very own podcast. And we have another briefs, special briefs, our charming series of microgames about the absurd. And today, uh, last but not least, we have a very special creator hailing from California who just woke up uh, because... Well, it's uh, the afternoon in Europe. It's the early morning in California. Therefore, good morning, Damien Crawford. Good morning. Nice to talk with you. I was informed that uh, yourself and Evgeny, who is also on the line here somewhere, show yourself. I will uh, deny everything. <laughs> very good. Uh, what an entree. You have a very good report on talking. Uh, so for once, I will uh, enjoy not opening my mouth too much for the next hours. We'll just make like small appointments of like, guys, you've been talking for four hours. Maybe we'll find a break and otherwise like let you go on and maybe interject at one point. Uh, so Evgeny, you have a couple of questions for Damien. Maybe you just uh, go through the entire list. But maybe before we go into that, uh, Damien, could you briefly let us know what creation you made for briefs like uh, in a nutshell what is your game about um okay yeah i i made have nots unforgiving which is a game about basically if a standard rpg world operated under a system an, an economic system of artificial scarcity mm -hmm. uh because I find that stuff to be very dull and annoying, and I don't understand why that is a system that is so popular among people who are trying to invest and scam other people. And so I decided, okay, well, let's, let's just be very straightforward about how this is foolish. So that's what I made. Before, Please. before we go on, also, because we need context. Uh, people need context. People need to know how terrible you are. Uh, <laughs> what a terrifying creature you are. So uh, tell us, uh, listeners, about what, uh, like, how did you end up here? Like, you know, general introduction to Damon Crawford and Cannibal Interactive. Sure. Um, yeah. So my name is Damien Crawford. Um, I have been doing, I've been making games for almost 10 years. I first started by spending two and a half years trying to make a fairly traditional RPG and it did not do well. And so in my frustration, I thought, well, what if I just made something that nobody would like? And so I made a game where you play as 99 characters at once. Um, and the first version of that, you had to confirm all 99 commands before anything happened in full turn-based combat. And because of how bad the memory leaking was, you could make it maybe through turn three. And so far, there has been two people that have beaten it over the course of about six years. And people liked it. Well, some people liked it. A lot of people were not enjoying it, but I got feedback and I thought, okay, well, people clearly were drawn in by this. So let's just keep doing this. And I have made disasters ever since. So yeah, that's why I'm here. 
Mm, I, lo- I love this story. <laughs> I said, you're basically a supervillain of video games. In, in a way, yeah. It's very strange because I'm, I'm still, I, I still very much have the mentality of back when I first started. So people will be like, oh yeah, I've played one of your games and I'll just immediately offer condolences. I'm like, I'm so sorry if you don't. I don't know why you did. I'm, I'm sorry that you're in the position of your life to have decided to actually play one of my games, but okay. Like, <laughs> it's so <laughs> awkward. So, so if, if you could choose, would you rather be the Riddler, the Penguin, or the Poison Ivy of video games, since we talk about villains? Oh, man. That's tough. I mean, I guess, I guess the Riddler, like... I'm I'm fine with with my position. <laughs> I, I can't. I've, I've been doing this long enough to where I don't know if I could imagine doing anything else besides, you know, creating Gordian knots for people to try and solve. Because at the very least, like when when people play one of my games, at the end of it, they will feel very accomplished. The issue is getting to that point, and a lot of people don't. So. But I've also just come to terms with that, and that's fine. So. <laughs> I think when uh, Tiffany was uh, like telling me about you, like bef- like our mutual friend Tiffany Otto, before yes. we even met, she just uh, sent me the reviews that you are collecting, which mm-hmm. are mostly just "this game sucks, I hate it." Yeah, <laughs> that's the gist of it. It was very uh, funny. I love. I do love the reviews that I get because a lot of them. One of the things that she finds interesting, um, and I do too, of course, is I will get positive and negative reviews that say the exact same thing. I, I definitely, if I choose to do something, I I go full on into it, and that's also probably why I've caught the attention of the people at Strange Scaffold for publishing my current project because we all lean into our projects in a very severe way. So, yeah. Yeah. The strange scaffold of course is also called sponsoring briefs. Mm-hmm. Like there is uh, there is a connection between yeah. all of us. We're, we're all, uh, we all, we all do very specific things in very severe ways. Yeah. <laughs> also do say the name uh, so that people can wish. Oh uh, yeah. The game. It is purgatory dungeoneer. It has over 400 characters. Um, I'm currently working on the equipment crafting system, which has 770 items in it and, you know, over 11 different equipment slots. It's funny. I was talking to Xavier Nelson Jr. when I was first, when I brought up equipment to him, he's like, oh, you're, you're doing 11 different slots for each character. Are you sure you don't want to like bring that down a bit? I was like, well, it did start at 14, so I've tried to <laughs> curb it as much as I can. But, you know, I got rid of, like, ring slots and something else. And he was like, I, I don't know how I feel about you considering 11 downscoping from 14, but okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Zelvia released a TikTok where he's just reaching through the list of the classes in, in the game and yeah. being terrified and shocked. <laughs> the, the, whole, the whole discussion involving that game was... Very amusing because, you know, he he was looking to, I'm probably digressing a bit here, but I do want to go into this because he he wanted to get into indie game publishing. And so he asked me two things. One, if I would help him draw up a contract. And secondly, if I wanted to sign one with him. 
So mm-hmm. we sat down and went over like what would be equitable for both publishers and small time indies. And then I also pitched my game to him. And, you know, I, I sent him some of the design documents, like the class spreadsheet and stuff. And one of the mm-hmm. first interactions I remember him saying about the game was, you know, this spreadsheet looked normal at first. And then I realized it had 111 tabs. Um, <laughs> so that, that, I, I feel like that gives people a good understanding of my maximalist tendencies and design. That's a uh, satanic, if I might say, like yeah. the, the amount of tabs on a spreadsheet. That's just, that's true. <laughs> that's really, that's like, you should uh, like rebrand yourself. Like the most evilest of all evil RPG oh, yeah. creators. But, yeah. But, but you know, like, like I quite enjoy reading those lists, you know? And, and at one point when I saw like a, like a post where you, where you had all these uh, skills of the drunken masterclass, like Baskus mm-hmm. Brew and Swagger and Dialanku Coffee. And I'm like, I want that as a, pen and paper thing. I want it as like a hardcover pen and paper book to just sit and read through all these endless classes. Could I have that at one point in life, please? You going into pen and papers? Okay. So I I need to like decide how I want to confront this question. Um, Okay. So first, it's it's not like we've actually discussed this or anything. Me and and Zelavir and Strange Scaffold. Um, Do I think it would be cool to do a an indie pen and paper. Yes, I, I would absolutely love to do that with this system. The ideas for the 105 classes that I have in this game, I originally did because I was running a game jam called, well, I was running a jam called I Wasn't Gonna Make This Anyway Jam, where the goal is to not make a game. So you make supplementary material. You might make a soundtrack for a fake game or and instruction booklet. You know, I did, I did a series of FAQs, basically, and for a fake MMO. And so one of the things that I was doing was because I was just like, yeah, I want to spend a bunch of time designing some classes. And so I, I just made up like as many weird MMO classes as I could and gave them like level 20 progression. And you could have, you know, up to five classes at once. So it's just like all these weird sorts of combinations and character build stuff that you could do. So in a way, it started as a pen and paper thing. But also I've done a couple small pen and paper games, not that they've done well or been especially complete. So yeah, I I would like to explore that with this. I've also thought about just releasing the spreadsheet of character classes and skills that I have set up but also I as as I have a publisher I have to actually like run that by them and mm-hmm. wait for opportune timings for that so yeah it's it's something I would be interested in doing because I also like just reading through RPG books and doing character creation without actually doing anything with them I really applaud that. Thank you. <laughs> I imagine a door stopper like of like six hundred pages, like oh, hundred of them just characters. Oh yeah. I mean it's it's funny because I've given some thought to like as I've made this, I've been making guidelines, you know, like as as I make like the Drunken Master is a good example because there's a bunch of different drinks that I had to make for the Drunken Master. But there's also different things for 
them when I was like, oh, well, what should I name this? And so I referenced some equipment because I wanted to have, okay, well, Dilaniku, because I already have a bow that was supposed to be from like some special region. So let's make a coffee that comes from that region. Or, you know, there's this one character who's a gardener. So let's also make them have like their own drink with this. So because I have these sorts of things that I'm referencing, I'm also at the same time creating a compendium for this. So that way I have stuff I can pull from in the future where it's like, oh yeah, this, this character is somebody you can actually meet like in the future from now or use them in an NPC as an NPC in something or, you know, whatever else. Um, so it's, it's been interesting looking at this from a world building view. And I would like, if, if I somehow had the money where it's like, you know, a million dollars or whatever, I would take a year to just F off and create, do, do just world building where, you know, people are going to be like, oh, what's this system? It's like, well, this is a hundred years of this world. Here's every shop with every NPC that ever owns it and what different inventories they have. And you can follow their backstories for like where they moved to because things happened like a dragon hit or rent prices got too high or whatever else. And then different laws that could apply in regions. Um, Cult of the Lamb, I've been playing that and that's been giving me ideas because that has doctrines that you implement, which some of them are exclusionary. Like you, you can only pick one, but the choice only ever comes up once and you pick from a choice of two. My favorite so far is you can choose to either allow your religion to have marriage or a ritualistic combat pit. I'm like, oh, that's a fun choice to make people decide between. So yeah, I've, I've had a lot of thoughts about not just world building this, but also like creating a whole world building system around it. But yeah, it's it, it, there's there's so much stuff in pen and paper RPGs that I like that I would like to have the time to sit down and implement because also I understand that that's not the best uh, marketing strategy is just creating something like that because PDFs are so easy to get a hold of. And so I can't expect people to all buy it without just one person getting it and then a hundred people going onto their Google Drive folder, you know? Um, I think there is a whole scene of scenes. Um, mm -hmm. I gotta really pronounce it precisely. A scene of scenes, mm -hmm. uh, like RPG scenes that do like either self-print or print on demand. Like we we have a thing going in the office with those as well. So uh, it's it's quite an interesting, like also they go mostly through crowdfunding. So I think also economically, it's actually quite interesting what happens in, in that regard, like Merkborg. But that was just mm -hmm. a side note. Uh, let us return to the digital realms. Right. So let's move away <laughs> from that. But also I think it's a nice segue because like my first, like not necessarily a question, but a comment from like, mm -hmm. first of all, this is the first year game of yours that I have finished. <laughs> uh, and, well, it is a uh, fairly short game too, so good. Yeah, but then it made me think of like, why is this the first game of yours that I have finished? And I eventually ended up thinking that it's kind of like a parody of your games. Like your games, are like every like, it feels like none of them matter, but like every single piece of it actually matters. Like I think the best example I like is that there is a mercenary and a merchant classes in one of your games, and like mm -hmm. if a merchant throws money and a mercenary, mercenary is tougher. Uh, or like fights better or something like that along those mm -hmm. lines. But in this game, nothing actually matters. <laughs> like yes. uh, the, the items you get, 
don't matter because they're not items. Clearly, a critique on NFTs. And uh, like you got the map doesn't matter at all. It's just a winding route to to be more annoying. Like it kind of feels like this is uh, literally your game, your like your general genre of like cannibal games. Let's call them this way. Mm-hmm. I'm pointing it uh, where it's cannibal like. Let's call them this way. <laughs> um, where it's basically uh, almost none of that actually uh, matters. While in your games, it absolutely, in like in uh, the rest of your oeuvre, it absolutely matters. Like, uh, how did it came to be? Like, is it just an accident or like just a, a scope issue? Like, I know you can do a lot of content in a week. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, it's. The thing about that is when I make a game, there's a lot of stuff that I put into it to make it feel correct, or at least like what I'm trying to make it go for. And so, yeah, a lot of my games where, you know, you have all these different characters to choose from, it's like, no, they they do have differences and there's a lot of background stuff that's going on to make sure all of this works. Even like the the first person roguelike that I did. There, there's a lot of stuff there where, you know, it, it seems like a roguelike, but really with, you know, procedural dungeons. But the thing about that is that there's only 40 dungeons, but because of the different places that I spawn you and the different ways that chests and other things can pop up, it feels like different ones. So with this game, because the point of it is that you know, artificial scarcity is, is not a thing of any actual substance. I had to make sure that a lot of the game also felt that way where, Mm -hmm. well, also I needed to make sure that everybody would get through it because it's, it's a game that you need to be able to, I, I, I don't want people starting this one and then not actually finishing it because that would just be the biggest condemnation. I can, I can tolerate that with some of my other games, um, for some of my games, that's kind of the point. Like, you're not supposed to finish it. Um, you're supposed to have the realization of, oh, I could be doing literally anything else with my life right now. And yet here we are. But with this one, uh, the point was that the economic system is pointless. The Also, the starting off with like, you know, hero destiny whatever that's also proven to be pointless you're not given any sort of advantage out the gate for that the monarchy is pointless the the gambling system is pointless like the the win rate and reward rate is so tuned up on the slot machines like it's you you can get a ton of you spend like 100 tokens and you can easily get twenty thousand in like a minute you know and, and so, that. yeah. And, and so you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, this is so much. And it's like, oh, this is worthless. Like, great. Okay. There's, there's actually no point to this at all. And then you go through the combats and it's like, oh, the combat's pointless. And then you get to like, or you're going where the, you know, the other town is supposed to be. And it's like, oh, there's, there's just a guy here and there's nothing else. So there wasn't much point to this either. You know, like that's the whole point of the game is when you set up a pointless system, it affects everything else around it. Mm-hmm. So the, my, my intention, when, when you do something 
in game design, it needs to be intentional and deliberate. And the intention behind all of this is that it's all not deliberate, basically. Um, it's, it's, it's how I wanted the world to feel. So I had to make sure everything leaned into that. So that's why that game is the way it is, but also why it's so easy to finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because like it's kind of like also like the NFT st- like the uh like the NFT way of like this is just a pointer, but there is nothing of sus- substance in there. There is a map, right. you can walk around, there's nothing in there. There's a pointer to the city, there's nothing in there. Mm-hmm. Uh except for the ending. Right. The ending is satisfying, hundred percent satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> the only item that can do shit. <laughs> yes. The only oh. thing in the game that is actually capable of doing anything is a guillotine. Um, so that's where I stand on things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, like for anybody who's listening, I highly encourage you, like, uh, after playing Have Nots Unforgiven, to play literally any other game just to see how different it feels in terms of the opportunities and the stuff that you get just because of the amount of content that actually means stuff and just check into it like it's literally it's it's very very different vibe and it's uh and it makes you appreciate some of the games more <laughs> mm-hmm. even though they are hell they are literally hell um, yeah there's there's one there was somebody that played one of my games that gave up video games so <laughs> that's that's the sort of feeling that people sometimes come across with my projects. So, mm-hmm. absolute fair warning. Mm-hmm. So let's go technical for a bit, uh, and mm-hmm. this is not necessarily for have nots unforgiven. Uh, uh, it's more about the general way that you are making stuff. Like you have a, a unique skill to create, and generate a fuck ton of content, mm-hmm. but I'm more about the implementation of the content here. So like. Um, like the Have Not Something Given looks like a generic JRPG. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of your games generally look like that. But, well, except for uh, Purgatory Dungeoneer, which is like a different art style. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, can you talk about the technical stuff, like where do these assets come from, what tools you are using to actually like implement uh, your vast amount of content? Because I think like this might be useful for somebody who is like, man, I want to make JRPG. And like you can totally do. Look at uh, Damien's games. Right. So I, I primarily use for the game engine RPG Maker MV. Uh, some of my early games were RPG Maker VX Ace. There's one or two of my games that was Smile Game Builder. That was when I was first starting into 3D games. RPG Maker MV has uh, a generation system within it. So you can use that to... Um, you know, generate different looking characters. Uh, you will have to futz with things because it does tend to make characters pretty white on average. Um, but yeah, I it's it's a very simple system to use, and then I just mess with stuff from there. Um, just a couple things like sometimes there's bikini armor, so I do have to like go through the sprites and patch that up because I don't care for that. Um, But yeah, in terms of generating character graphics, that's a pretty simple system. Um, In terms of generating actual content, um, there's there's a few different things. Um, I did have to create a... Well, I mean, 
almost all the stuff I'm going to talk about is shit I created or is actually a lot more boring of a process than most people want to do. And that's why I make these things. Um, so for things like I made a Twitter bot it is um, RPG newsroom bot, which creates and generates uh, news reports in fantasy settings. And how I created that was just a lot of like looking up thesaurus words and creating different definitions for stuff and creating a system that would generate syllables so that way it would create words and put them together. Um, so that's, that's how I do a lot of words. Um, in terms of names, there's uh, behindthename.com uh, <laughs> where you, you, there's, if, if you search behind the name random, you'll get a random name generator that pulls from a list of real life names. And so I just use that <laughs> a lot. I use that a lot of the time with names, but also I've seen so many names at this point that I, if, if somebody's like, oh yeah, do a name for this RPG character. I'm like, oh yeah, it's this, this is fine. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's using generative systems like that. And then for things where, you know, oh, I need to have, like when you go to the shop and have not some forgiving and you want to get random items, it's, it's a very dull process of, pick set this variable between one and 400 if one then this item if two then this item and i have to manually put that shit in it is it is a tedious process the the biggest thing about that that a lot of people don't realize about the things that i make is that i am willing to do more than anyone else longer than anyone else because I'll, I'll just sit and do the boring stuff for so long that eventually a game gets made. So that's, that's, that's how you do RPGs. That's how you do all the different equipments and items and systems is it's, it's not, if, if you want to make games like my games or just games in general, realistically, but specifically mine, because I can speak from experience on that, at least. Um, you just have to sit down and grind through it and get it done. And that's the only way anything gets done. But there's, there's no real secret method. There's no interesting process. I just sit and work and get it done. Um, so... <laughs> That's that. I, I hope that's at least a helpful answer and that anybody can truly do this. But like I graduated from a continuation high school and I did not graduate from college. I don't have a full year under my belt in that. Like you don't have to be smart to do what I do, but you can still if, if you if you're willing to sit down and just do it, be like, OK, well, this would be funny or interesting. Then, yeah. I really don't want your games to become mainstream so that you can come. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that that's, would be a terrible word. <laughs> well, well, also, also I, it's, it's funny, like, because I'll talk openly about my games on Twitter, like Purgatory Dungeoneers being published. So I do, and, you know, there's a certain level of NDA that's been signed about it. So there's certain things I have to be careful about mentioning. But for the most part, yeah, I can just talk about whatever. And... Mm -hmm. I know I'm safe because there's a lot of indies for like, well, I don't know if I want to 
reveal this much about my game. I'm like, nobody wants to do what I do. Like yeah. there's, there's no easy way of doing what I do. You can't copy what I'm doing faster than me because I've also been doing this for so long that you're already two years behind. You're not going to catch up on my current project. So feel free reference. I don't care because you're not going to do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's an interesting point about like how, because like mine is like not necessarily because like you will not, like mine is you, like people will not do what I do just because they will think it's stupid, uh, which it is, but I carry it with uh, as a badge of honor. Uh, right. but, like we can absolutely, uh, like, like there isn't, an openness that we can afford that other people can like not necessarily because like mm -hmm. literally there is uh, no way like there is a very little chance people will do the same association situation same cutting situation that they will just generally that we will absolutely do but other people will not mm -hmm. it's yeah, kind of like it feels like if somebody would still like you know ridiculous fishing story like if somebody yes. would steal like either baby labor or like your 99 characters mm -hmm. then it's like cool but i wasn't even half done <laughs> right right and yeah that's that's one of the big things is that that story does stick out and it is a very unfortunate story yeah. um because it is also something that does happen and you do see in stores where people basically do just take people's different apps and games and reskin it and say this is my game now but that's not something that would happen for hours in part because it's it's a lot of work it'd be a lot of work like nobody wants to reskin 99 characters and and of course the 99 character rpg there's over a hundred there's like 120 bosses like you'd still have to do those too and then there's all the different skills and you'd have to assign shit to that and like you'd have to rename every you don't want to rename all the skills like i had to sit an rpg maker like I had to get into the code to figure out how to break the limits on the databases. Like you don't want to do what I do. And um, so, yeah, there, there's certainly an openness I could afford. And so can you with games like baby labor and duck date where it's there's, there's, there's a lot that you do narratively that's interesting but the presentation is something that either you're with it or you're not. And if you're with it, then you're very much interested in supporting those sorts of games. And if you're not with it, you'd never hear about it in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I kind of see, see it like it's like, uh, you know, uh, in, uh, when we were doing The Long Reach, Mm -hmm. uh, we had uh, in like the first five to ten minutes. I don't believe. I don't believe exactly. We had a character because like there was a bunch of dialogue in the long reach, and like you know people don't like to read. La la la. Right. Uh, which is which is a valid position. I don't like to read. I'm a writer. It's <laughs> not my job. Uh, but uh, so there was a character, just a grandma, your grandma of your player character, that mm -hmm. is just an insanely long dialogue. <laughs> Like not insanely long. Like it's just uh, compared to everything else, it's it, it's a chore because like you're talking with a grandma and like you, you're talking with elderly, it's uh, you know a bit of a hassle. Like try talking with Georg, it's annoying. But uh... <laughs> please carry on. You have spoken now for twenty three minutes. Oh no, thirty three. Carry on. See, it's be quiet a chore. Again. 
And we kind of use it as a litmus test, acid test, uh, whatever like it's called. Basically, like yeah, you you don't like it in first ten minutes. Yeah, this is like this is some of the part of the game that you will you will like or don't like. Get out if you mm-hmm. wanna, while you can. And this also in the demo. Well, in the demo is the same situation and everything. And I kind of like this idea of like the acid test situation where like you are immediately show like you're immediately you uh, kind of like a reverse of, you know, Dragon Age 2. I think they've done it and like uh, a bunch of others where you start in media res, uh, like with your character is super powerful and everything. Right. And then yes. they take away all of your powers. Right. They're showing mm-hmm. you what you might be playing in like 40 hours. And like mm-hmm. this is kind of like feels to me like a reverse uh, of that. And uh, I'm trying to remember if you actually do a similar thing. Like the first combat is like, yeah, it's the first combat. This is what the game is about. There is no way around it. <laughs> like, you oh just- yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, there's. Um, I have left stats for my classes leader, so I recruited everyone I know to fight the Dark Lord. Um, An actual name of the project. Mm-hmm. Yes, where the very first combat is the tutorial, and so I just throw like you. You spend the first half hour of the game walking around town, talking to everybody and getting everybody in your party, and then you have the actual combat. Um, and yeah, you just you have all these characters, and so it throws you into this, and you're like, "Oh, this is a lot to have to process." Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's also the point of that first one is I want you to get that taste. Um, then the next fight is with a guild master and so you have to learn elements because you can't just slash a guild master you have to do things like financial damage occupational damage social damage because there's 24 different elements in this game um with all sorts of different ranges um and so that was important to me and also so that way people explore different characters uh specifically ones further down the line because like the first 20 are the warrior type characters and then the next 20 were your mage or thief type characters and then the other 20 were like the reverse thief or mage and then you have the ones that are more esoteric like the merchant who's going to be able to deal significant uh, financial damage or even if you go more or less down to the bottom the student who has the skill student loan which does severe single target financial damage things like that um so I thought that was a very fun thing to explore there. And then you also have battles right after that where, oh, now there's multiple enemies. Oh, now there's a, a limited party size because they split up the group for something. Um, mm-hmm. Which then I also pull that in other places where like um, World 3 takes place in a labyrinth pyramid. So because the corridors are really tight, there's only so many characters that can participate in fights. So... Mm-hmm. I definitely make use of the, no, you really do have too many fucking characters with you to actually make use of uh, situation a fair bit. So, yeah, it's it's something that's fun to do in that way where you you let people know this is what you can do, but we're going to now take some of that away so that way you have to learn like how shit actually works. So by the time that you get that power back, now you know how to use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's actually a good learning, uh, like actually nice learning curve in mm-hmm. uh, in that game, which again, that game is still hell. <laughs> but yeah. it's uh, but it's it's like it's always surprising to me, like uh, behind all this, like not if it's just overwhelming amount of stuff mm. or systems, 
like there is actually a really good narrative. Like I'm, I'm fascinated by like the narrative design in general in the, in your games. Uh, like I, I can't explore it because I mean, I have stuff to do, <laughs> you know, like uh, literally anything else. I'm going to clean my room before I do that. Right. Uh, but, uh, like you're like, you're looking up a lot of stuff behind that. Like it's, I think like I, the metaphor I was using is like, it's a dungeon full of necromancers and skeletons, but every skeleton and like you can ask them about the story they're happy to talk it just mm-hmm. you know you have to go 99 levels of a dungeon down before you can actually talk with that particular skeleton and uh and it's like absolutely fascinating to me like that kind of the immersive it's kind of emergent uh the result i feel like it will eventually even like oh even though it's like carefully crafted right right because as as I work on different characters, with with each character I make, I have to make sure that they have a purpose. I don't want them to just you, you. And there's no shortage of things where you have all these characters that are just another face. So I have to go. Okay, what makes this character different or stand out in some way, shape, or form that makes people actually want to engage with them? So yeah, I have to sit down and go. Okay, what what new piece is going to be revealed by this character, whether it's their relationship to another character, to the player, to the combat system, or, you know, in and of like, yeah, there's just, there's, there's a lot of different things where as I continue writing up characters, I have to consider what their place is in the world and I don't release a game without having done that decision for each of the characters. Um, because as much as I do a lot of content, it's, it's as much as my content may seem generative, it is also not. And also I'm, very, I'm somebody who does take umbrage with some of the roguelikes that come out because they do procedural generation without considering the procedure to the generation. Whereas I'm like, I'm full on on procedure. Like it, it's, it's the most important part of the process to me. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I have to sit there and go, okay, what is the point of this? And certain things like equipment, I have to kind of just do scattershot, you know, like, okay, we're just going to put in a bunch of different effects and we'll see what ones we like. And if they work, then cool. And then the others will figure out later. But Mm -hmm. there's also that intent behind it. I don't like creating character builds that aren't going to be useful for anybody. I don't like characters that aren't going to be useful, you know? So I I need to make sure there's, no matter who plays, there's something for them. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, that's that's that. Uh, geez, I forgot her name. Uh, the captain of Kid Fox Games, Tanya X. Mm-hmm. What's her last name? Shit. Short. Short. Tanya Short. Um, so uh, in uh, the procedural, well, like procedural design book, 
uh, either she or somebody that she has uh, asked for to write for the book. There was a comparison uh, with, like, uh, not comparison, but like a delineation between warm design and uh, kind of cold design as like a, as like a spectrum for the procedural generation. Uh, the more it's crafted by hand, the more warm it feels like and mm. uh, vice versa. Which is kind of like, uh, like, which is kind of like why yours is feels like much, much warm. And I think like warm and cold in here, like I'm very interested in, uh, similes. Mm-hmm. So like it actually does. <laughs> like this was made for you as opposed to this was just made. Right. Right. There's, it, it, it's the difference between, um, you know, emotion and calculation mm-hmm. and games. Even if I'm not doing a very emotional scene, you know, it, it still helps add to the comedy of because my games are generally very comedic. There's tragic moments, but the core is comedy. Um, where because I've spent time with all of these characters, making sure they're at least built up a little bit, it means that whenever something happens to them, the player connects with them just that little bit more. And so even with massive casts of characters, there's generally somebody that something happens to that I'm going to get a good chuckle or tear out of them for. And that's, that's important to me. Mm-hmm. It's actually an interesting point. Because like, there is part of how absurd, like one of the definition, like from both like Martin Eslin and uh, Michael Bennett, Mm-hmm. was that uh, tragic comedy is one of the important aspects. Uh, specifically for Theater of Absurd, they mentioned that before Theater of Absurd happened, it was either tragedy or comedy. Mm-hmm. And Theater of Absurd merged it together to the point that right now everything is a little bit tragic, a little bit comedic. Like, this is one of the biggest impact on the mainstream media that uh, Theater of Absurd did. But yours is, uh, like, uh, not with counting tragic moments, there's an interesting point, I think, of like either going forwards and uh, general observation of like, yeah, the game is comedic, but the player experience is tragic. Yes. Of like yes. mixing that, there's, uh, and like it gave me like of comedy horror, like all of the mechanics <laughs> are from horror, but everything else is comedy, you know, or like a, a rom-com shooter, stuff like that, you know, like there's genre doesn't mix, the genre of the game doesn't mix with the genre of the story or delivery. Right, right. Um, uh, I, I do not want to have to use this term. Um, so I, I do have, I do pay attention to things like ludonarrative dissonance in my games. Um, I have to cringe every time I say that, but that's mm-hmm. like the third time I've had a legitimate use for that term, um, <laughs> which shows how long I've been doing this for. Um, because that is for when the mechanics don't match the narrative but what i care about with that is you know the the thing is that with tragedy and comedy they do have very similar mechanics um simply because the thing is i mean with with tragedy and comedy the point of both of them is that it is a subversion it is you expect one thing to happen and then another thing happens that's why you laugh that's why you cry because something happened that you weren't ready for. Um, and so that also plays into absurdity where you were expecting normalcy. And then it's like, oh, okay, so I guess this is the way that this is now, you know, like 
-hmm. this it's like an rpg where the combat is meaningless like pushing a boulder up a hill and then oh now we have a shop to interact with to customize our boulder like Mm -hmm. it's it's silly and it was unexpected and that helps the absurdity of it all um so yeah it's it's very much the the mechanics don't fit exactly what you were expecting but that's at least an again an intentional and deliberate decision and it's handled in a way that doesn't actually detract from the experience or if it does that was the point yeah, it's it's deliberate. Like the narrative dis- dissonance. Like I also hate the term. I try to push for a narrative resonance because it's just way more mm. useful. Like mm-hmm. you want something to strive for, not avoid. Right. Uh, like you're avoiding new narrative dissonance. Okay, your game is fucking mediocre. <laughs> like you know, your narrative resonance is you know like it's something where it all works together. Mm-hmm. But uh, and like if it's if it's done deliberately, if it's like you can, if it's if you commit to the bit, basically, yes. then ludic narrative dissonance can work wonders, hundred mm-hmm. percent. It's like literally, why, you, why am I doing this while the story is about that? Kind of spec mm-hmm. ops the line, like well, not necessarily, but it's kind of more mainstream uh, example. Even though calling spec ops line mainstream is a little bit sad. Um, <laughs> Where it's like it's a shooter, but like there is a ludonarrative narrative dissonance. You're supposed to have fun and shoot shit, but you're not having fun <laughs> very quickly. Nothing is fun in that game eventually. Yeah, but and it's deliberate, and so like nobody is using the dissonance. It's kind of like uh, the difference between a bug and a feature is just the intent behind it, right? Uh, or whether you say whether it's a bug or a feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's like it's like it's a it's a good point about like the ludonarrative narrative dissonance and uh, ludonar- like the the link between a gameplay and a story, which is kind of like why I'm so t- uh, like so uh, lured to the absurd part, to the absurd. D- as as a thing of like games that just don't do whatever the mainstream stuff does, like what we did for the absurd game jam is like make games make games run, mm-hmm. um, uh, because like well, like part of it was just like uh, we can make a first person shooter in seconds. Basically, you download right. the plugin, you tweak a couple of co- couple of stuff, you do the shader, you do the boxes. There it is. Uh, now I have to make one. Shit. Um, <laughs> but uh, like we can do puzzle platformer. We have tools and everything to do this stuff. But for example, we have no like we have very little kind of this uh, knowledge base in the sense to like do dialogues or to do any damage other than you know elemental bleed, uh, basically Elden Ring style of damages. Right. Uh, Whereas just names are different, but basically eh, it's all the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, kind of the absurd games, uh, it's kind of like a way for like uh, kind of a way to explore like different stuff that we can do with the medium in general that are literally outside, like with a license to never needing to make a mainstream game because mainstream game is literally just okay. We need to make it fast, so we are just going to use something that we know. We need to, you know. It's you are tr- you are going with the path of least resistance, regardless. Right. In this situation, at least the path of least resistance is the part that is the most fun. Mm-hmm. That was an unexpected rant. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, and it's kind of like the, the critique of capitalism where nothing matters. Yes. 
Uh, yeah. It's your games where weirdly everything matters, but very little people will know about it. A typing game. I love typing games. Uh, the David Lynch typing game, I still remember that. It's amazing. It's very Lynchian. It's, you have to type a cockroach. Um, and, uh, <coughs> Ten minutes left. Ten minutes mm-hmm. left. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, you, you guys can talk forever, but uh, you know, after one hour, you know, you have ten minutes mm-hmm. left. Right. That's how uh, it is. Keep on talking. Thank you. Ten minutes left. So, Georg, do you actually have questions? So that uh, before we uh, go uh, and use all of the ten minutes left, yeah, we might keep going. <laughs> I, like I, this, I, so I, that, that's it. I think if if we let you keep on talking about this, you know, you can talk about a couple of more hours. And I do have a few questions, and maybe they're quite nice to to tie this up. Uh, I sure. want to. Uh, talk just briefly about um, the format itself. Um, uh, Damien, do you think it's useful to have initiatives like briefs to like uh, support people to make short creations by the power of 1,000 euro dollars? Uh, yes. Um, I mean, that's, that's one of the big things about, you know, initiatives like this, micro-publishing, that sort of thing is, is very useful to indies um, simply because we... I mean, we need the money, you know, that's uh, yes, quite, yes. quite simply, it, it does, it does take time and effort to make things. And these things often don't sell well, but you're still able to make something interesting that, you know, has value. And so being able to have that guaranteed little bit amount of money that can help you going forward. I mean, um, you know, I, I've, I've run a couple small game bundles and they've generated a little bit of money for me, but the other people that participated, like there was, you know, a couple people in Brazil who were like, oh yeah, this $300 that I got from the bundle, that's gonna, that's, that's a minimum wage pay for a month. Oh, and wow. so, yeah. So the, the amount I of money the that- I got rent out of the, out of one of the bundles. Right. And so it's, you know, the, it seems like, oh yeah, well, it's, you know, a thousand, but to some people, that's not a lot of money for indies. That's everything. So yep. yeah, that's how I feel about that. Yeah. So uh, just as like a basic tool, basic like ingredient in a survival kit, it could be quite mm-hmm. useful. And then there, there's something else that we discussed in like a previous recording with uh, Stuffed Bombat. It's like strategies on on how to show it because sometimes it feels a little bit, okay, I'm going to upload it on HIO. And it's been like this since the time of our forefathers to year 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had all these weird ideas like Josh wanted to travel the country with a bus and stop in villages and let people play games. And then we talked about, uh, Viennese coffee house style uh, micro exhibitions, you know, where you can hop in every Saturday and play games and stuff. Uh, do you have any fantasies on how to bring indie to the masses that don't really know about it? Is this something that you think about sometimes of how to to reach beyond the the, the everydayness of these portals and uh, platforms that we are using? The difficult thing behind that is you would need to build something up and then make sure that gets advertised enough to get enough attention in the sea of all of that as well. Um, and, and I mean, we're, we're living still in the, in the shadow of steam. Like yep. that's tough to break past. 
The reason itch.io broke past it is because nobody else was doing for indies what they were doing. And you can literally put a game up within like five minutes. Like if you want a game to be, to exist, you can make a game page and upload it. There's no approval process or anything. Like you can just do that and be done with it. The only reason the Epic Game Store got as big as it is, is because there's so much money they were able to throw at it in order to make it succeed. Um, and that's why people know about that. Also, they had quite a strong starting point because it's Epic. That's that's a known name. Um, so it would have to be people with known names that make a concerted push to do that. And from the indie scene, that would be that would require a lot of different people to make that push um, and a lot of different press connections to actually make sure it gets visibility because that's the biggest issue for indies is visibility. If, yep. if, like most of my games have not sold well. And then the one that got onto a PC gamer made four grand in a day. Like yeah, that's, that's the power of press. That's yep. the power from one fairly sizable article, you know, site. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's, we are living in the attention uh, economies, you know, like mm -hmm. that's, that's the, the most precious currency, you know, like visibility and, and being seen. And then you can translate it into all sorts of other currencies. Um, mm -hmm. All hail neo feudal, world, feudal capitalism, or however you want to call it. <laughs> um, Uh, I have one last question and then everyone else can still have one last question, but those are the last questions. Um, any ideas on what would be a cool theme for briefs in 2023? This is not a democracy. Um, so, um, Evgeny doesn't care about our opinions. He will just decide it, the dictatorial mind he is. But uh, <laughs> was there something that, that tickled your mind when you thought like, oh, briefs 2023, that could be vacuum cleaners. I mean, this is tough because, like, I I would have to defer to his opinion on this anyway, simply because, like, I I mean, I've I've run a couple events, and you do have to do it like a dictatorship, like that, where it's like, mm -hmm. you know what, I want to do something like this, so I'm just going to make this be the theme, and that's the end of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But um, oh, it's tough. Um, I mean, I, I tend towards themes of maximalism myself, where like, you know, I'm just like, oh yeah, fake multiplayer system, you know, where it's all single player, but you have enough people that you interact with and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, so I don't know. It's the, the, this is the sort of question where it's like, I, I, it's tough to think of something off the top of my head, to be quite honest. Um, but I, I will trust that whatever the theme is next year, it will be very good. As long as the games are very good. We can also have like a really bad theme, like toast and see what comes out of there. Don't, don't, don't be surprised at what people can do with a theme. That is one thing I've absolutely learned is that if you give people a theme, they will find some good use out of it. Um, yeah. Well, the 
toast is a good theme. We're like the way that we are collecting, we are just basically we are deciding who to give money. Uh, we like with a toast. There is enough synonyms in English language or different mm-hmm. other meanings for toast. Because uh, like I'm toast, I'm dead. Just toast in general. There's a toast simulator and like stuff like that. There's a bunch of synonyms. Like uh, that doesn't sound that bad. Oh, we could have but cheese. Actually, yeah. Oh, now that cheese. I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh man, you could have like a, a narrative sort of like um you know monkey island where you're trying to pick the right toast dialogue at a mm-hmm. major event where it's like oh okay i need to make sure i know enough about all these people to know how to compliment them or to roast mm-hmm. them completely right yeah i mean like i uh, i kind of want to go with like how the absurd theme was like going on of like part of it was like a little bit educational for like people just to check it out or like other stuff and part right. of it was just like uh, kind of um uh, performative research in a way of like mm-hmm. the stuff is being made and what does it mean and shit like that mm-hmm. and specifically like so that there are more absurd games uh so like i think that the one the two that i have in my brain right now for like uh, next year are like moon logic uh, to specifically to just fuck around with like uh you know everybody hating Moon Logic and like it's fun it's a joke how 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 dare you and the other one of just heterotopia specifically of like just make the world that we have no chance to understand and mm. something like that maybe focusing on setting maybe focusing on something like that and seeing what's what or but, cheese. <laughs> Or cheese, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like like toast is a good topic for a game jam, but we're not necessarily running a game jam. <laughs> right, or, right. Or cheese. But yeah, yeah, that's it's true. Like a or cheesy moon logic. Who knows? Um Yeah. I mean with toast, like my like immediate idea was like global uh global uh warming, like mm-hmm. climate change specifically. And it's just you're playing as a, like a piece of cheese that needs to survive. But it's impossible <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> You know. piece of cheese how are you gonna make it you're you're a piece of brie how are you gonna make it through the next three decades it's impossible you <laughs> no, won't brie last a week a, from character perspective brie gives me a very pretentious you know like side like you're so pretentious you're molding uh, like i was thinking like you know just a general cheddar you know, like cheddar feels to me like a working class cheese in a sense. <laughs> like wow. everybody has an approach to cheddar, right? Like a cheddar can be bought anywhere. It's not that expensive. I mean, it's expensive cheese, but it's not that expensive. And like it, it's in mac and cheese, which is also like it's a poor student kind of dish, right? Mm-hmm. So like, and also it melts good. Like the, and the, also the, like this. This is how we have to end this podcast, Yevgeny. <laughs> we we leave the call, and you have to keep on talking for sixty plus minutes just on the cheese. Just keep on keep on saying the cheddar and the brie and the Emmentaler. Just just keep on. It needs to be this endless stream, or not? Because, ladies and gentlemen, whoever's listening, we've reached the full hour. And that's sadly the self-made limit of our conversation. So we'll have to continue the cheese talk another time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Damien, thank you so much. I think you deserve breakfast now. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. I, I look forward to eating. I haven't even thought about it yet, but I look forward to eating. That's for sure. Well, definitely <laughs> something with toast that goes... Uh, <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> definitely toast. Uh, you can just put cheese outside and it's going to melt. Just put the yes. toast outside and that's it. Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, 
Good morning, good day, good evening, and good night.